Well, turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Of course, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke. And we've been seeing that Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He is the Savior, the Messiah, the King. He is the sacrifice and substitute for the sins of the whole world. We're seeing the final week of his life before he goes to the cross. He's in the temple teaching. He's been showing his authority. He has cleansed the temple and every day teaching and proclaiming the good news message. Now, this morning we're going to see, really, sort of a hard passage. Because Jesus is going to be talking about the end time events he teaches the disciples about a time that we often call the tribulation. It's powerful because Jesus teaches about these events that are going to happen in the future, a time of suffering on this earth. It will come to an end at the second coming of Christ as the King. Now, as we study this morning, we want to be able to understand this and understand the end time events. We want to see how they fit together so that we can have comfort knowing the future and then at the same time that we can help others understand these great truths. As we look at this passage this morning, we're going to see the questions that they raise about the temple and about end times, and then we're going to see how Jesus talks about the persecution, the abomination, desolation, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and how all these things fit together. May we have an understanding of these things as we study our passage. Well, you know, there are a lot of ways, a number of ways that people look at end time events and that are found in the scripture. Now, here's why. Some say this. Some say, you know, you can't really know or understand them because they're not literal anyway. They're just, they're symbolic and they're really about the only thing we know for sure is one day Jesus is going to come back and there'll be like a judgment then and then some people will go to hell and some people will go to heaven. That's sort of what they say. Others say this, no, 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 we, we can know the end time events because if we interpret the Bible from a historical, literal, grammatical interpretation, we can be able to put these events together and we'll see these events as future laid out in the scripture things like the, the rapture and the tribulation and the second coming and the kingdom and the great white throne judgment and the eternal state. Now, I want you to understand, at Countryside, we take the second view, and that is that we can know how the end-time events fit together, that we can understand the Scripture. We interpret the Bible from a historical, literal, grammatical interpretation. We go to passages like Matthew 24, 25, Luke chapter 21, First and Second Thessalonians, the book of Daniel, book of Revelation, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Zechariah, and more, and put together the Bible and the end-time events. As we study God's Word, we can come to an understanding on how these truths fit together. What we're going to see this morning, that Jesus teaches his disciples about the end times and about what happens. And this, the focus of this passage really is on the tribulation and the second coming of Christ. So we'll see that as we go through. Now, as we study this, we want to be able to put these things together so that we can teach others, so that we can have an understanding uh, when we see all of this. Now, let's begin. We've been seeing Jesus in the final week of his life. You remember we, we saw him come into the city riding on the donkeys, fulfilling Zechariah 9-9, proclaiming to be the king, his last offer to the nation of Israel. That was on a Palm Sunday, best we can tell. Well, now we're, we're in the final week of his life before he goes to the cross to die and rise again for us to pay for sin and conquer death. We've been seeing the confrontations. The religious leaders hate him. They don't want him there. In fact, the nation of Israel as a whole has rejected him already. They do not believe in him as the Messiah. Now, he's got his disciples. He's got the apostles. He's got people following him. He's got people who follow him around just because he feeds, those things like that. But as a whole, the religious leaders, first of all, hate him, want him dead. And then others, they just don't really know exactly what to think. They don't see him as the Messiah and the King and the Savior. Now, this morning, the disciples begin talking about the temple. In fact, they're walking through the temple, and they look up and go, Boy, is this temple great or what? It's a great temple. And he tells them, this whole temple is going to be destroyed. 
Everything will be torn up. And they, they go, what? And then they begin to ask him about things like, like, well, when are you coming back? What's going to be the signs? What's, what's going to be the signs that you're coming? What's going to be the end of the age? When is all this stuff going to happen? And so then Jesus teaches them. Now, in this passage, it starts at verse 5 and goes through verse 38, goes through the whole rest of the chapter. And so that whole teaching about the end times, about the tribulation and all that, takes a whole section. So what we'll have to do, we can't do that all in one Sunday. So it's going to take us a couple of weeks to do it. Let me break down the passage for you just so you can see it. First of all, Jesus tells of the temple's destruction because of what they said, he tells it's going to be destroyed. The disciples then raise some questions, and we're going to see what they say in Luke, but also there's some questions that are raised in the Gospel of Matthew which tie into this. Then what Jesus does is begin to teach. He teaches concerning the tribulation. He gives a little overview in verses 8 and 9. He talks about the first three and a half years of the tribulation. It's a seven-year time period. He talks about the first three and a half years, verses 10 through 19. Then he talks about the second three and a half years, verses 20 through 28. And there's an event that happens right in there. And then he gives his warnings to them about being ready and all of that. And then the last thing that he does, and we'll see it next week, of course, is he continues to teach in the temple. That's what he's been doing. He's going to do that all the way up till the final day until they arrest him and, and he's you know, tried, crucified, and rises again. Now, as we begin, we have a goal, and the goal is to understand these end-time events taught by Jesus and see if we can put them together and understand them. Now, remember, Jesus has been teaching in the temple. People have been coming up to him and, and asking him questions. Well, notice, best we can tell, they're leaving the temple. You can't tell it necessarily from Luke, but you can tell from the other Gospels. Verse 5 says this. This is uh, Luke 21, verse 5. And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and bucket gifts, he said. So what we get is some people that Jesus is with, some of his disciples, some other people, they begin to talk about the temple. One of the other Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, tells us that they're actually passing through the temple. They're going to leave. They're fixing to leave Jerusalem and go out of the city and go over to basically probably to Bethany, which is on the Mount of Olives. That's what they're about to do. As they're walking by the temple or through the temple area, some of the disciples, somebody says, wow. Look at this building. This is the most beautiful building. Look look at the gifts that have been put there. And so they talk about the beautiful stones and the gifts, the things that have been given. Now, let me let you understand something. You remember the very first temple ever built was built uh, really by Solomon. David wanted to build it about a 1,000 years before Christ, but he wasn't able to. His son, Solomon, about 900 years before Jesus was born, they built a temple. It was one of the wonders of the world. It was incredible, and yet it was destroyed by the Babylonians in 585 B.C. Seventy years later, the Jewish people returned from their captivity, led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel, and they built a second temple. But it was much smaller. In fact, it was so much smaller that when it was built, some of the people wept because they said, it doesn't look anything like the first one. And, and the point was, look, it's not how big it is. It's what it's for. It was the place that they would meet with God. It was the place they would to worship and those kind of things. Well, years went by. And when Herod the Great became the ruler over that part of the world, now he was not Jewish, he ruled over the Jews, he called himself Herod the Great, king over the Jews and everything, but uh, the Romans had put him in that position. Herod was known for building things. He decided to get on the good side of the Jews that he would build onto that small temple and make it huge. And it was an 80-year project. Now, he didn't live for all of it. In fact, by the time Christ is there, Herod's already dead. By the time Christ is doing his ministry, they've been building it for 46 years. So it just keeps on going, or, you know, later, a little later, later on that. They say it's been 46 years of building. It was a little longer than that by the time of Christ. And then it gets destroyed, of course, later. So here's what happens. In AD 70, this temple is destroyed. 
And so Jesus, they were talking about the temple, they were saying how beautiful it was and all the gifts, and then Jesus says this. He said, the end of verse 5, he said, As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another which will not be torn down. Now, simple words, Jesus said, hey, you can look at this thing all you want to, but there's going to come a day the whole thing's going to be torn up. And when they when he said that, I want you to understand it's really a prophecy. And there's a thing sometimes in prophecies which we call a near and a far fulfillment. Sometimes when he makes a prophecy, something happens soon, and then it also is a foreshadow of something that's going to happen later. Well, when he said it's going to be torn down, the, the near prophecy was just in about 40-something years later. The temple was destroyed in A.D. 70 by Titus. Titus was a Roman general brought into Jerusalem to fight the Jews. The Jews were in rebellion against the Romans. He came in, he attacked Jerusalem, tore up part of the city, set fire to the temple, and burned the whole thing to the ground. It has never been built back. That prophecy, that was the near fulfillment. There is a far fulfillment because one day the temple will be built back. It will be during the tribulation time period. And at the very end of the tribulation, when Jesus comes back, they're going to destroy that temple. And we'll talk more about that some other time. But anyway, it's a near and far fulfillment. So Jesus basically says, hey, you like the building? One of these days is going to be completely destroyed. Now, when they hear that, the Gospel of Luke doesn't tell us this. The Gospel of Matthew says that as he said that to them, they left the city. They went out the eastern gate of Jerusalem. They went down the side of Mount Zion. They went across the Kidron Valley. They went to the east up the side of the Mount of Olives and probably stopped near the Garden of Gethsemane, which means the place of the olive press. So they got to the other side. They got up on the top of Mount Olives. And if you stood at the Mount of Olives and looked back to the west, you see Jerusalem. And they would have looked directly at the temple because that was right there. And so... They had just heard Jesus say, the whole thing's going to be destroyed one of these days. So they get to the other side, and it says that, that several of them came up to Jesus and asked him some questions. Now, the Gospel of Luke tells us this in verse 7. It says, they questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things take place? They want to know what was going on. Now, Luke doesn't tell us a lot of details. Matthew tells us more. The questions they asked about were very strong questions. They actually said, when will be the, the end of the age? When is all this going to come to pass? When will be the end of the age? When will be the sign of your coming? They weren't just asking, when's the temple going to be torn up? They wanted to know, when would be the end? Because they kept thinking Jesus was coming as king. And so they asked two questions, really. When is the end of the age? When is it all going to be over with? What's going to be the sign of your coming as the king they were expecting him as the king and so basically he tells them you know they look at him and go well when is all this going to happen when's going to be the end of the age when when is all this going to be they wanted to know and what he's going to do is teach them he's going to beginning at verse basically beginning at verse 8 he's going to actually go through and talk about the end times he's going to talk about the time that we call the tribulation he's going to talk about the persecutions and the signs he's going to talk about his second coming now, for us to grasp that and to make sure we got it, I want to give us just a real brief overview of the end-time events. Now, in my Sunday school class just recently, we stopped, but we did a study called The Seven Last Things in the Book of Revelation, in which we went through the Book of Revelation, and we hit the seven last big things, and it ties it all together. So some of the people who are in my Sunday school, you got this. You're saying, I, I know what he's fixing to talk about. If you hadn't had this, you, you need to be able to be able to put it together to understand what Jesus is talking about. Let me give you sort of a, a chart of the end 
end-time events. When we think about Jesus, the first of all, there are two comings of Jesus Christ to this earth. We have the first coming we have on this side, which you see the cross. The first coming is when Jesus left the glories of heaven came to the earth, was born in Bethlehem, became a human being, basically till about 12 years old, and then he went into the temple area and talked about it must be about his father's work and those kind of things. When he became 30 years old, he began a ministry that lasted three to three and a half years. He proclaimed himself as the Messiah and the Savior. We know they rejected him. They killed him. He put, they put him on a cross. He died. They bur- he was buried. He rose again and ascended back to heaven. That's his first coming to the earth. The second coming of Christ to the earth is when he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes to the earth and, and brings judgment when he comes, sets up a kingdom. The kingdom lasts for a thousand years. That's why it's called the millennial kingdom. And he rules as the king, not only the king of the Jews, but he rules as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he does that for a thousand years. Then there's something else, then it goes on into eternity. So the first coming of Christ, he came to die on the cross and pay for sin. The second coming of Christ, he comes to rule and reign as the Savior, I mean, as the king of kings. Lord of Lords. Now, I want you to notice there is another coming of Christ. We call it the rapture, but it's not to the earth. It's not the first coming. It's not the second coming. We're the church age now. One of these days, it could be any second. There's nothing to be fulfilled. Jesus could come in the clouds. First Thessalonians says, there'll be the shout, the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him. One of these days, Christ is going to come in the clouds, and the church age, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, us, will be taken off the face of the earth. That's not a coming of Christ to the earth, because he doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the clouds, and we meet him in the sky. So, the first coming of Christ to the earth, second coming of Christ to the earth is the king, there's a rapture. Now, what's going to happen, just for you to grasp this, after the church is taken out, now I want you to understand something, after the church is taken out, after we who know Christ, we're gone, God goes back and does something. Else. Now, for to help you understand this, if you go to the book of Daniel, now this is a little bit hard, but grasp this. Book of Daniel in chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, God promised the nation of Israel he would give them 490 years at a certain starting, starting point. He said, I'm going to give you 490 years to do a certain ministry. By the time of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, they had used up 483 of those years. Because the nation of Israel as a whole rejected Jesus Christ as Savior, what God did at the death and resurrection of Christ, he took his people who had used up 483 of their 490 years, and he set them aside. He is not through with the nation of Israel. He set them aside, and he says, I'm now going to use Jew and Gentile into one body which is called the church. That's us. When he is through with us and takes us out, he is going back to his people, the nation of Israel, and he's going to say to them, you still have seven years. The tribulation is the final seven years of the nation of Israel. So when the church is gone, there is a time called the tribulation. It lasts seven years, and it's the Jewish nation's final seven years to do the thing that God has for them to do. Okay? Now, we're going to talk more details in a minute, but this tribulation has two parts to it and all of these kind of things, and there's the Antichrist and all this. But at the end of this seven years, Jesus comes the second time to the earth. First time to die, second time is king. He comes to rule and reign in righteousness. When they ask him these questions and they said, When will be the end of the age? What will be the signs of your coming? 
they're talking about the end of their age, which is the tribulation, those seven years. Because they've used up 483, they had seven to go. So when they say, what will be the end of the age, they're talking about their age, not the church. That's us. Talking about this one. And when they said, what will be the signs of your coming, they're talking about him coming as king. I want you to understand something. Some people get confused and they start thinking about Jesus coming to get us, the rapture. I want you to understand something. There are no signs for the rapture. There is not one thing that has to be done for Jesus to come get us. So if you hear somebody say something like, everything looks like it's ready, all the signs are out there, there's wars and this and this, and there aren't any signs for us. The signs you find in the scripture are for the second coming of Christ not the rapture. So understand this. When they ask these questions, he's not talking anything about church or rapture. He's talking about the end of the age, end of the tribulation, and his second coming. So I wanted you to grasp that as we go through the study. Okay, now we'll go pretty quickly through this. Now, one other thing you have to understand. When you see tribulation... This tribulation time period, go ahead, it's divided into two parts. The first three and a half years is called the tribulation. The last three and a half years is called the great tribulation because there's even more suffering in the last half. So when you think about it, it's seven years divided into, into half, three and a half and three and a half. Something happens right in the middle of the three and a half. That's why it's divided. We'll talk about more in just a minute. Let's see what Jesus says. Now, when he begins to talk, he's talking about the very beginning of this tribulation time period. And Here's what he says. And he said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they'll say, The time is near. Do not go after them. Now when he says, You, 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 he's not talking about these disciples. He's talking about the people who are living in that final age, in that tribulation time period. Because they, be they could read this. Scripture will still be there. So he says, see to it that you're not misled, for many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they'll say, the time is near, don't go after them. What we find from the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, Matthew 24, 25, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, all of these different places throughout the scripture, that at the beginning of the tribulation, there are a number of people who claim to be the Messiah. They go out saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah. He says, listen, expect that. There will be people saying that. Don't listen to them. Now, I want to say one other thing just to make it clear. We're not talking about us at all. We won't ever be there. The next event for us, if you're still alive when Jesus comes in the clouds, you're going to be taken off the face of this earth. You're not a part of any of this that we're reading here. This is the end of the age for the Jews. It is the tribulation time period and the second coming of Christ. We will already be taken off the earth and we will be with Christ in heavenly places. So this has nothing to do with us, but this is what he's teaching them. And that's why we're going through it. So here's what he says. Don't be misled. People will say, I'm the Christ. Don't go after them. Then he goes on to say this. He says, uh, you will hear of wars and disturbances. Do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. There will be wars. There will be destruction. There will be disturbances right at the start of this tribulation. He says, but that's, you know, that's going to happen first. Now, let me give you some details. So we're going to see the first three and a half years, and he's going to go into this. Now, if you said, Jimmy, I want more details than this. Well, you can get more details very easily. Go to Matthew chapter 24 and 25. He goes into more details in, in 
in the Gospel of Matthew, he gives us more details than the Gospel of Luke does. Now, notice what he says here. Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Now, I want you to understand that once the tribulation begins, here's what happens. After the church is taken off the face of the earth, the best that we can tell from the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel, that there will be a ten-nation, we call it, the Bible calls it a ten-king federation, a ten-nations come together to basically form ten nations of the world that's ruling the world. From those ten nations, three will gain great power. And from those three, one will come to power. And that one is the man which is known as the Antichrist. You've heard us talk about him. People talk about the Antichrist is going to come someday. He is a man who becomes a world ruler, and he's controlled by Satan. Now, when he comes at the beginning, he looks like he is a man of peace. He looks like he's going to make everything good. And then he's really an evil man, and he wants to destroy things. He wants to be God is what he wants to be. Now... So at the start, he says, there's going to be nations fighting against nations. There'll be earthquakes. Now, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, it's time for the rapture because there's earthquakes and there's wars. These are not signs for us. There's nothing have to be done for us to be gone. These are signs during the tribulation time period. Now, I want you to see what happens. Uh, it says, but all these things, before all of this, before all it all comes to pass... He says, they will lay their hands on you and they will persecute you and deliver you to the synagogues and the prisons and bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. He's talking about the believers. Now, I want you to understand something. After the church is gone, there are no believers left on the earth because the church of the body of Christ, the believers, we're gone. But what happens after we're gone is other people begin to know Jesus Christ as Savior. They begin to trust in Him. In fact, Revelation chapter 7 tells us that there are 144,000 Jews 12,000 from 12 tribes who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and are raised up by God to be witnesses to the Jewish people because the Jewish people begin to believe in Jesus and trust in Him. That's what happens during the tribulation. It's their final seven years. He says, what's going to happen to these believers? They will lay their hands on you. They will persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prison. They will bring you before kings and governors for my name's sake. There will be great persecution on those who believe in Jesus Christ. Now, you understand that if you've ever studied Revelation or those kind of things, when the Antichrist takes over, he demands that everyone, if they're going to buy or sell, take a number. The number is called the number of the beast. It's his number. It's 666. It's put on the forehand or the fore, or in front of your face, in front of your head, and it's a number. Now, whether it's a number that you can see or it's a number that scans, we don't know, but believers don't take it. And since they don't take it, they're persecuted, and they can't buy or sell, and they have to run, and all those kind of things. And so this is why they get arrested. This is why they get persecuted. But notice something that he says, which is unusual. Well, not unusual, but I'll show you in just a second. He says, it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. He says, because you stand for me during the tribulation, you will have an opportunity to stand and give a testimony about Jesus Christ. And that's what's going to happen. Now, a lot of them are going to be killed, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But let me just say this. Every generation of believers has the privilege and responsibility to be a testimony for Jesus Christ. That's us. Now, we're not in persecution now. We're not in any kind of tribulation. But we have the responsibility in our culture, our time, our place to stand for Christ and make it known. So, anyway, he says to them. Now, here's the thing. How you know this is not talking about us. How we know this is future. Watch what he says in the next two verses. 
So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. He says to them, you don't have to worry and plan beforehand what you're going to say. I'm going to give you the special words to say. Now this is during the tribulation. Not now. What does he tell us to do now? He says, study to show yourself approved. He said, be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within you. Now we have to be ready. We have to know what to say. We have to understand the message and we have to be ready. During the tribulation, he's going to, in a miraculous way, he says, you don't have to have everything worked out. When you get caught, I'm going to give you the words to say. Notice what he says here. He says, so make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance, which means words, and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. When he says prepare beforehand, that word literally means to make a speech. He says, don't worry about making up a speech and getting ready what to say. I will give you the right words. Now, you could say, gee, I wish he would just, you know, I don't have to worry about anything. I just start talking and the right words are going to come out. Okay, you won't be in the tribulation? That's going to happen in the tribulation. You say, I think I'll just be here now. I don't want to go in the tribulation for that. Now, watch what he says. And this is powerful. You, but verse 16, but you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. During the tribulation, those who do not take the mark of the beast, the believers will be persecuted even by their own families. That's people who do, who don't believe in Jesus, and they do take the mark, and they will be turned over, and they'll be arrested, and they'll be killed. He says, because of my name's sake, some of you will be killed. You will be hated because of my name. Now, it is true that throughout all of history, especially from Jesus on, that Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. If you stand for Jesus Christ right now, there are going to be some people not like you. They don't like it. In fact, they don't like Jesus. They hate Jesus. They're going to hate you because you stand for Christ. He says, even in the tribulation, there will be people who will be killed. Because they stand for Jesus Christ. The man of sin is going to be ruling the world. He hate, He's controlled by the devil. He hates Jesus and he hates anyone who believes in Jesus. Now, some will be saved. Some people will be saved physically. Let me show you what it means. He says, verse 18, Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. He's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about eternal life salvation. He's talking about a physical deliverance. There will be some believers during the tribulation who won't die. In the study that we did in Sunday school, we talked about that when Jesus Christ comes as the king, there will be some believers who don't get put, who, who make it all the way to the end and they're not killed by the Antichrist and they live to go into the kingdom, physically to go into the kingdom. And he says, some, you will, some, not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. And the word lives there means their physical life. And so there will be some who will live to go into the kingdom who come out of the tribulation. Now, the next verse is a key, and I'm going to go quickly, and we'll be through in just a second. But this next verse is the key, because notice it says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Now, this is, we're now getting ready to go into the last three and a half years, the Great Tribulation. Halfway through, here's what happens. 
That man of sin called the Antichrist, you find this in the book of Revelation, you find it in Second Thessalonians, you find it in the book of Daniel. This man of sin goes into the temple at Jerusalem at the three and a half year mark, has an idol of himself, places the idol in the temple, and demands to be worshipped as God. And from that point on, he tries to kill anyone who hasn't taken the mark of the beast. And so he says, what's going to happen? He surrounds Jerusalem. Notice it says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Now, in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, this the abomination and desolation. In Daniel 9, 24 through 27, I think the next slide has it. This is where Daniel calls this the abomination desolation when the Antichrist puts his idol in the temple. At the halfway mark, he claims to be God, and from that point on, he tries to kill every believer. What are believers supposed to do? Especially, what about the believers in Jerusalem? The city is surrounded. Notice what he said. When you see the Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize her desolation is near. What does he tell the believers to do? And by the way, I think uh, Matthew 24 calls this the abomination of desolation. Here's what they do. They run for their lives. Look quickly. He says, verse 21, Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those who are in the midst of the city must leave. Those who are in the country must not enter the city because these are the days of vengeance so that all things which are written will be fulfilled that's the judgment that is coming and there will be death and destruction and all these things are written in the book of Daniel and some other places and Jesus is saying this is going to be fulfilled now watch what he goes on to say woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing their babies for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath of the people why is it going to be so tough for pregnant women and nursing women because they can't run very fast they're going to get killed he says, you've got to get out of the city. You've got to run for your life. He says, the Antichrist has put his idol in the temple. He's claiming to be God, and he's going to kill everybody he can. You better run for your life. And he says, it's going to be sad if you're pregnant because you just can't run fast enough. I don't, you know, it's just woe to those who are pregnant. Roll those who are, they got the little babies. It's going to be tough. And he says, and finally, and the verse 24 says, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles and the time of the, until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That's when the Antichrist comes. It's the final battle. People always talk about the battle of Armageddon. It's actually the campaign of Armageddon. It lasts Almost three years, the army gathers to come and destroy Jerusalem. Now, let me tell you why it's called Armageddon. The battle actually begins on a big plain in the Valley of Jezreel, which is the northern part of Israel. If you looked on a map, you can find Jezreel. It's a place where they do all their farming now. It's called the Valley of Jezreel. There is a mountain there called Megiddo. The Hebrew word for mountain is Har. Har-Megiddo, Armageddon. Har-Megiddon means Har, the mountain of Megiddo. The Armageddon, the last big battle, begins at that mountain in that big plain and goes to Jerusalem. And that's what he's talking about. That big battle is coming. And he says, run for your lives. Now, I've got one good thing I want you to show you. We'll get more next week. But I want you to see verse 27. Look what happens. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. At the very end, when this battle is about to be completed, Jesus Christ comes. If you want to, 
for next week, go to the book of Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 11 through 16. You see what it's like when Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He comes in righteousness and justice to judge and to wage war. It's powerful, and we'll see that. So we, we just get a little idea. That's his second coming. So we'll see more details next time as we look through this. I, it, yeah, so we got the chart. I just want you to see it one more time. First coming where he came and died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again. Then there's the church age. We're going to be taken out of the rapture. Then the tribulation time period. Halfway through, Antichrist claims to be God. Great war and battle. And then Jesus comes the second time as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we just barely touched on it in this passage. And we'll see it. And, and see what it, next week we'll get more details. But that's the flow of the end time. So here's the applications. We'll go quickly. First thing is this. Have an understanding of the end time events. It is important that you know that. We take the Bible literally true. We take it from historically, literally, grammatically. We put it together that way. You can know the Bible. You can know the end time events. It's possible to do that. So A... Know the flow of the end times. Know that there's the church, that Jesus died and rose again, and the church, and then the rapture, and then the tribulation, and the second coming, and the kingdom. Just understand how that fits together. You can do that. B, know and understand the time called the tribulation. Understand it's a seven-year time period, three and a half years, three and a half years, halfway through, Antichrist puts his idol up. Know those things. Know what the abomination, desolation is. Get those kind of things. Third, or C under there, understand the second coming of Christ. First coming, he came to die. Second coming, these are to the earth. Second coming to the earth, he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords to rule. That's at the very end of the battle of Armageddon, Harmageddo, and we'll see how that fits in more, maybe some details next time. One final thing to remember. Be ready to give a testimony concerning Jesus Christ. Be ready even now to stand for Christ as we scatter out in this community. Since even in the tribulation time period, they're going to be, it says it'll be an opportunity for your testimony. Well, it'll be an opportunity every day. We have opportunities for us to tell people about Jesus Christ. Know the good news message and stand for our Savior. May we have an understanding of end time events. As we stand for Christ now, proclaiming the great message of salvation, which is simply by faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Help us to understand end time events and know how they fit together and that they flow. And help us to understand the flow and understand all these things. And especially, Lord, about the tribulation, what Jesus taught here. And, and Lord, thank you that all of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior... We are the part of the church age, the body of Christ, and we will never be in that. And we just thank you, Lord, that you have revealed those end-time events, especially for those people who will be going through that. They can know what to do. Thank you, Lord, that when Jesus comes the second time, he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he rules in righteousness and justice. May we be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us, Lord. Thank you. And, Lord, I pray if there's anyone who has never trusted in Jesus, that right now, right where they're sitting, they can put their faith in him as savior so that they will be part of the body of christ the church they'll have eternal life and when he comes in the clouds they will go with him as well thank you lord we ask this in jesus name amen